Okay, we're ready. Let's stand and read God's word together. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Actually, wait, hold on. Uh, since we have the same sermon text for the next, you know, for, for five weeks in a row, this is week two, we challenged everyone to try to memorize this by the fifth week. So here's what I want to do. When we read this sermon text, let's read it all out loud together. Okay? All right. Let's read it together. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord God, Father, Son, and Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Okay. So we are in this, this teaching series. We started last week. This is week two of five. A teaching series called How to Read the Bible. And the whole thing is, uh, we're asking that question. How do we read the Bible? How should we read the Bible? Uh, how do we be good Bible readers? Now, uh, last week we spent about 23 minutes uh, talking about why that's an important question. So I don't want to repeat all of that. But I will say, uh, I will restate the obvious things. Uh, all Christian traditions, at least the ones that are within the broad walls of orthodoxy, uh, claim that the Bible is uh, our source of authority. All of them, from uh, our tradition, Reformed, Evangelical, to mainline liberal Protestant, to Catholic, to Orthodox, all of them say that the Bible is... This is where we get our information. Um, the Bible itself claims to be God's word. It claims to be authoritative. In our tradition, we would say it's inerrant. So the, those original manuscripts, which we don't have, but when God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the writers, the original autographs, and the editors who came along, that they, they put the Bible together without error. It's infallible. We have a high view of Scripture and Christianity. But across the Christian world, we have great disagreement over what the Bible actually teaches. Across the Christian world, it's amazing how much we agree on. Uh, from 
from our tradition all the way Catholic, Orthodox, even uh, uh, and then mainline liberal Protestant traditions. It's amazing how if we list everything we agree on, it's staggering, it's beautiful. But if we also list everything we disagree on, it's a little disturbing. How can we all say this is our source but disagree on so much, even here within our own church, within our own families, within our own private selves? We have big disagreements over what this says. And so those two truths, the, our high, that we have a high view of Scripture, what we believe about the Bible, but also the fact that uh, we, we can't seem to figure out what the Bible actually says and teaches on every issue, much less the fact that we have a hard time living up to what we're reading, much less the fact that, let's just be honest, a lot of it is hard reading, should lead us to ask the question, how should we be reading the Bible? We don't have a Bible problem in Christianity. We do have a Bible reading problem. We're not so good at reading it. So, we are spending five weeks asking, how do we read the Bible? Now, here's the thing. If the Bible is God's word, then it is God speaking, and the Bible itself tells us a lot about how God speaks and how we should hear him. The seminal passage in the scriptures that tell us, we need to go one place, all in one place, to give us a, a theology, a doctrine, um, a view of how God speaks, which should inform how we hear, we find that in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. So what we're doing for five weeks is we're looking at this passage in Hebrews, alongside some other passages, but mainly this passage, and we are asking ourselves, what does this passage have to say to us about how we should be reading the Bible? So that's what we're doing here. Last week, we started with the first principle of five, and it was that we should be reading the Bible theologically. Theo means God. Um, ology means study of. We're all about. So if we read the Bible as a theology book, means we're reading the Bible as a God book. We're reading it to learn about God. That was last week. The Bible is a God book, not a me book. So we read it theologically. This week, the principle that we want to take home is that we want to read the Bible Christologically. Christologically. Christ, uh, it's not Jesus' last name. It means anointed one or king, and it's a title for, exclusively for Jesus. And uh, ology part, that means study of, knowing about. So when... We approach the Bible, we're approaching it as a Christological book. It is a book that is all about Jesus the King. So when we read it, we want to read it as a book about Jesus the King. Uh, that's the principle for today. We read it Christologically. So what does he, how do we get that from Hebrews 1, 1 through 3? Well, if you would, look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 there in your worship guide, or if you like to bring a physical Bible that's, that's awesome, or your phone, or if you just like to listen, whatever you, whatever you, you do you. Uh, but let's look at it. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. How does it tell us that the Bible is a Christological book? Well, 
Let's take it one verse at a time. It starts off, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. Here the author of Hebrews is saying that what we have in the scriptures is the record of God's word to the prophets. He's saying that this here is, well, of course, this is an English translation, so uh, symbolically this is for the scriptures. Um, this is God's written word. That's idea number one in the text. The Bible is God's written word. Then he goes on, he says, but, that's not all. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Here the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus, God's son, is also God's word. He's God's living word. Further, he's God's first word, and he's God's last word. He's the word that created the universe, and he's the word that sits as the heir of all things, beginning and end. So thus far, the author of Hebrews is telling us that our Bibles are God's written word, and that's really important. But Jesus is God's living word, the first and the final word. The greater word. Now that's really, really important. Then verse 3. He says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Here the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus, the living word, is, the, is God's perfect self-expression. We speak to express ourselves. That's what our words do. They're vehicles that take what's on the inside and show it or communicate it to those who are on the outside. They become little pictures of who we are. And he's saying that the Son is the exact representation of God's being. The living word, Jesus, is God's perfect self-expression. He goes on to say that he upholds uh, all things. That Jesus' word it sustains all things. And after he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Here the author of Hebrews is telling us that that Jesus, the living word, accomplishes God's purposes. We speak and we use words to accomplish our purposes. We talked about last week. If I was standing up here and I was thirsty, I would have a purpose. And that purpose would be to get water. So I could use words, hey, somebody bring me a drink. To communicate, and then somebody would bring me water, and those words would accomplish my purposes. It's, he's saying, the living word, the Son, Jesus Christ, accomplishes God's purposes. And these are the purposes all the way, creation of the world, providence of upholding the world, our redemption, making purification for sins, and consummation, sitting down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
What the author of Hebrews is telling us is that the whole purpose of this, our Bibles, the written word of God, is to communicate to us the living word of God, Jesus. Because the living word, Jesus Christ, is preeminent. That means he, is, he has kingliness over everything. From beginning to end, from creation to consummation, from fall to redemption to making everything right, he is at the top. He is the king. He is uh, not only the source, he is the end. He is preeminent. So here, Hebrews 1 through 3, this passage that tells us about how God speaks, what the author of Hebrews has to say is, friends, God speaks here in your Bible. But this Bible is a means to an end. This Bible is a delivery system for God's great, living, first, final, preeminent over all things, accomplishes his purposes, expresses himself perfectly, word, Jesus Christ. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Now, does that sound like what you learned, those of you who grew up in church? Does that sound very much like what you learned about what your Bible is, what God's Word is? Maybe some of us. Probably not all of us. I know sometimes in my life, yeah, that's what I learned, but not all the time. We'll get into that here in just a minute. But I just want to take a moment to sit in this reality. How do we read the Bible? We read it as a Christological word. We read it as a word from God, the word of God, that shows us, that gives us, that delivers to us, that speaks to us God's living word, Jesus Christ. And that living word is perfect. We hear him, we hear God. He speaks, God's purposes are accomplished. We can look at him and we see God, expresses God perfectly. The whole purpose of the Bible is to communicate Jesus to us. Because Jesus, the word of God, is over everything. Okay. That's it. That's the big idea. That's the truth for today. As, as they used to say in the old days, that's the indicative. And now for the imperative. So what? What are we supposed to do about it? What does it mean for us that the Bible is much more than a book? The Bible is even much more than God's word. The Bible is God's word that delivers to us, that speaks to us, God's living word, Jesus Christ, King of kings, preeminent in everything. 
What does that mean for us? What does that mean for how we should actually pick it up and read it? So let's do a little bit of application. How should we apply this? Well, I have two big things that we need to take home with us. We need to put in our pockets, take home with us, and remember when we pick up our Bibles and when we read them. Here's the first one. The scriptures, that's the Bible, the scriptures show Christ to us. Now, you might say, Charlie, you've been saying that now for like 10 minutes, but let's, let's just let's take that in. The scriptures show Christ to us. We, we talk a lot here. Almost every Sunday I stand up here and I urge you, look to Jesus, right? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Do we see Jesus? Look to Jesus. Where do we find Jesus? How do I see him? Where, where do I look for him? The scriptures show Jesus to us. What is he like? The scriptures show Jesus to us. What is he doing? The scriptures show Jesus to us. What should I believe about him? The scriptures show Jesus to us. That's what they're for. That's what they do. The whole, and, and here's the cool part. The scriptures, the, all of them, Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, it shows Jesus to us. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament looks forward to him. All the stories about the prophets, all the stuff about the priests, all the things about the kings of Israel and Judah, are all there to teach us about the great prophet, the great priest, and the great king, Jesus Christ. Every single page in your Bible, Jesus is the big idea. Jesus is the subject. Jesus is the hero. He is, all of it is about him. In the Old Testament, we see prophecies that look forward to him. We see literary types, like, like King David, who's kind of a messianic figure, that are pointing us as readers, look forward to a better David who's coming. We see that it shows us our needs, no matter how hard the people of Israel try, they can't get it together, just like me. Every single page. And in the New Testament, it looks back. The four Gospels tell us about Jesus' life, and then the Epistles give us all about what Jesus' life means. And then the book of Revelation shows us what Jesus is doing when he will come back and consummate and make all things new. The whole Bible is all about Jesus. The scriptures show us Jesus. Now, Pastor Charlie, where did you get that information? Well, I got it from Jesus in the Bible. There's a really great story in Luke chapter 24. Let me say, Jesus made claims in several places about all of the Bible being about him. But Luke 24 in particular stands out. I want to read part of it to you. I, I wanted to print it in worship guide, but we had that other long passage. We'd be reading all day. So I'll just read part of this to you. 
here's, here's what's going on. In Luke 24, it's the end of the book of Luke. There are two disciples. One's named Cleopas. The other one, we don't know the person's name. And it's Passion Week is over. Jesus has been crucified. He died. And he rose from the dead. But these two disciples don't know that yet. Uh, the women who saw the empty tomb and saw the risen Christ told them, but they didn't believe the women. Surprise, that happens still all the time. Anyway, they're coming back. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're headed to their home, presumably their hometown, Emmaus, seven, seven miles, a day's journey away. It would be like walking from here to St. John's or something like that. They're walking along the road, and then the risen Christ comes up and starts walking with them, but they don't recognize him. It says that they're kept from recognizing him. And then this is what happens. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. Their faces were downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked Jesus, are you only uh, one visiting? Are, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know about the things that have happened there? He said, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, uh, our women amazed us. They went to the tomb this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. They didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what is said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they're walking along the road and they don't recognize his face, he starts with Moses, that's the, that's the beginning of the Bible, and goes through all the prophets, the whole Old Testament. He walks them through it and shows him all the things about him. And it's only after that, after Jesus shows them how the Bible speaks about who he is as the Messiah, what the Messiah is supposed to do, how the Messiah was supposed to suffer, how he would rise from the dead. It's only after these things that their eyes are open and they recognize him for who he is. That's in Luke 24. Now, it's fascinating that Jesus didn't just say, guys, I'm Jesus. He could have. But instead he said, guys, look at this. Let's go back to this. Now, hold that in your mind. Think about the passage we read earlier in John 5. In John 5, Jesus is having this interaction with the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They got mad at him because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. They didn't think he should do that. And he's talking to them, and he, he talks about how his father works on the Sabbath, so he works on the Sabbath. And now they're really mad because they're saying, you're making yourself equal with God. 
So he explains what he means by that, which is, yes, I am making myself equal with God. Me and the Father are like this. We're one. But then he goes on to say, uh, he goes on to say, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these are the scriptures that testify about me. And he says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. Do you see it? The whole Bible, beginning to end, is screaming Jesus to us. Now, we need to change the way we read our Bibles to calibrate to this truth, that the Bible is primarily a Jesus-speaking, Jesus-showing book. When we read our Bibles, our number one thing in our mind needs to be, look for Jesus, look for Jesus, look for Jesus. Because what does the Bible do? The Bible shows Jesus to us. That is what it's for. Now, here's how we don't do this. Are you ready? And I'm including myself here because I'm one of us. We might say, yeah, Pastor Charlie, I, I believe that. Yeah, Jesus and all scripture. Yeah. But folks, why do we tend to downplay and ignore the Old Testament in our churches and in our tradition? You know, we do that. I remember years ago, I was serving at another church and we did this sermon series where there's 66 books of the Bible, uh, over, I guess it was 66 weeks. We did one sermon for every book of the Bible, summarizing the big idea of each book. It was a long sermon series. But I remember when we got to Matthew, a buddy of mine goes, finally we get to the, old, the New Testament, and finally we could talk about Jesus. And I was like, hey, dude, we've been talking about Jesus the whole time. The whole Bible's about Jesus. And then I realized, uh, no, we weren't. Because we tend to ignore the Old Testament because we don't actually believe it's about Jesus. At least many of us don't. Or we read the scriptures and instead of reading it as a Jesus book, we read it as a how to do it right, how to be moral, how to have a, a good worldview, how to get yourself straightened out kind of book. We ignore the fact that Jesus is the message of the Bible. And we think that the message of the Bible is how to be good people. The Jesus parts, those are good until somebody gets saved or whatever. That's good so somebody can make a decision to give their life to Christ and get their sins forgiven. And then we can get on to the real meat. Then we can get on to discipleship. And that's when people learn how to live right. They learn how to quit smoking, quit drinking, quit chewing, going with people who do. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew. You've heard that. Maybe you haven't. My grandma said that. That's playing cards. We could throw that in there. That's hyperbolic, uh, but I think you get the point. We, 
the, the, Jesus is, is the door. He's how we get in. But once we get in there, the real meat of Scripture, we need to, we need to read this in order to learn how, how to live right, how to, how, to, how to view the world the right way, how to have something called a Christian worldview, whatever that means, uh, how to vote the right way, uh, how to handle our emotions the right way, um, what to do when we're sad, uh, what to do when we're confused, what we need to know about the origin of species. Uh, we, we, we read this uh, in order to know how to handle our money, what's right, what's wrong, what's sin. So I myself can be happy, can be healthy, can be whole, and I can grow into a really good person. But that's not the Bible is primarily for or about. It's a Jesus book. So we need to read our Old Testament, look for Jesus. And when we read our Old and our New Testament, we need to never, ever, 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 ever stop looking for Jesus. I had a conversation with a pastor in our presbytery and uh, one of the ruling elders at, at the church that he was at. So two ministers in our presbytery, we sat at lunch, and they told me about how they had a wave of people leave the, leave the church recently, leave their church. I said, what's going on? Why are people leaving? And it all kind of started sort of with one family, and then some other families got in, and then there was this kind of group that left. And with everybody that left, they did kind of this exit interview, and here's what's amazing. Every single family that left. Why are you leaving? And he said, well, we talk about Jesus and he preached the gospel. That's really good. But we want something more. What? We, we want you to teach us how to live better. We, we want to talk about how to build better cultural institutions. We want to talk about how we should be doing school for our kids. We want you to stand up front, tell us how to manage our money, how to educate our families, how to build institutions. We need to go deeper than the gospel. Now, all of those conversations are really good, and there's a time and a place for all of those things. But there is nothing in the world that is deeper than the gospel of Jesus. And if we ever think that we're at a place where we have graduated past the gospel into bigger or better things, then we have left Christianity. We've left Bible. From beginning to end, the Bible speaks about Jesus as the big idea, as the hero, as the goal, as the source, and as the end. So in our lives, from beginning to end, why do we think that there comes a point we need to get past him and get on to bigger and better and more relevant things. Shame on us for reading our Bibles to be better people as if we didn't need the one that our Bible speaks about. So how, how, how do I change? How do I become a better Bible reader? What do I do? Well, here's three things real quick. First, pray. Pray. Pray to Jesus. You can talk to him. 
Tell him you're sorry for ignoring him. Ask the Holy Spirit, who is the breath that God's word floats on to your ears, to deliver Jesus to you. Ask the Holy Spirit in your heart to show you, to turn the light on where Jesus is in the scripture. Ask God to make you a Jesus-looking-for person. He does that kind of thing. Also, keep reading your Bible. It's kind of simple. Read it and look for him. Say, Charlie, what if I find him in the wrong place? What if I read it wrong? What if I read him into the text where he isn't? Let me tell you a secret. If you accidentally read Jesus into the text where he isn't, that's way, way better than reading him out of the text where he is. Don't worry about it. Just keep reading. Here's a third thing you can do. Employ tools. We have a world of tools that you can use. Uh, there's a really great video series called put out by the Bible Project. Google the Bible Project. There's videos for each book of the Bible, different themes in the Bible. And all of them show you where Jesus is all over the Bible. They're really good. They're really great. The Bible Project. There's a great app called Read Scripture, which uses those videos and puts them in the right places in the biblical text to help you. Those are great. Here's another good tool. You can go out and get yourself, now this one comes with a qualifier, you can go get yourself a good study Bible. An ESV study Bible or a Reformation study Bible or an NIV study Bible. Now here's the thing about study Bibles. They have the text and then they have notes on the bottom. Now the text at the top, that's Bible. The notes on the bottom are not Bible. Those are people's opinions. So use it like you do a dictionary. Go over, look something up, and then put it back on the shelf, and then go to your Bible with just words in it. It also gets confusing. Now remember, not everything in the study Bible is it's always right, but they're helpful. Those are three things you can do. Now, um, I need to wrap this up, but there's, there's one more thing I need to, I need to show you here. The Bible shows Christ to us, but there's another thing here that we need to keep in mind, or else we're only getting half of the picture. The Bible shows Christ to us, but the Bible also shows us to Christ. It's a little bit of a play on words, so you remember it. But hear me. The Bible shows us to Christ. Knowing the content of the Bible, even the Christological content, knowing it is not enough. You need to go to him. Jesus said to those religious people, which I think we could put ourselves in those seats. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think you have eternal life by reading your Bible. And Jesus says, no. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Folks, your Bible can never save you. This book will not save you from your sins. Only Jesus can save you from your sins. 
This book will show you how to get to him. Do you see the difference? So how should we be reading our Bible? Well, we need to not just look for Jesus in the text. We need to go to him when we find it, when we find him. Do you see how important this is? We often, uh, we often prioritize learning what the Bible teaches over responding to what the Bible teaches ourselves. Did you know that? We do this all the time. We open our Bibles to learn good theology, to learn that ambiguous thing called the biblical worldview, again, whatever that is. Uh, we, 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 we open our Bibles to learn about what God says about hot issues like sex and gender, abortion, race, evolution. So we can, so we can know what's right and we can argue against those who disagree with us on social media or behind their back or sometimes in person. And we don't think twice about the fact of what God says about those issues in this book and the Jesus that he shows us in this book. convicts us of our sins and indicts us before a holy God. We want to often weaponize this against other people when if we're honest, it exposes our need for Jesus. And sometimes we mistake knowing about God with communion with God. Sometimes we think that knowing a bunch of Bible facts is the same as is, is exercising faith. It's not. Knowing God is not the same as knowing about God. Knowing, loving, and trusting the Bible is not the same thing as knowing, loving, and trusting God. Folks, the life that we all long for, the truth that we all yearn for, the hope that we all need, the answers that the world needs. They have a name. It is Jesus Christ. And we are obsessed with our views. This book should walk into our little mind palace and clear the table of our views and carve the name of Jesus into our hearts. That's what this book does. Say, okay, Charlie, how do I change then? How do I stop searching for the scriptures for eternal life and just go to Jesus for eternal life? Well, Jesus says here in John 5, he says, A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will not. In the book of Hebrews, Quoting Psalm 95, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So, how do we go from being religious, Bible, fact finder, arming ourselves with self-righteous knowledge to going to seeing, hearing, reaching out for, going to Jesus for life, people? Well, it's this. When you hear his voice in your heart, when you hear his voice when you read this, some of you might be hearing his voice, so to speak, right now. Don't ignore him. 
Don't harden your heart. Go to him in faith. Confess your sins. Repent of your unbelief. Receive grace. God spoke his word, Jesus, into our life so that we would be raised from the dead and experience the fullness of communion with God. Let's pray.